Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the FTCA. And today's guest on this episode is Dr. Danielle Eaton. Dr. Eaton has founded Aligned Women, and she has a ton of content on her website, alignedwomen.com. You should check out her podcast. Uh, Wealth of Knowledge is Dr. Danielle Eaton, and we had a great conversation, so I hope you enjoy it. Before that conversation gets started, please entertain a few words from our lovely sponsors. Without them, we would be nothing. Uh, and I hope you enjoy the show. Take care. All right, everyone. This first promo is not a promo at all. Usually, Parker Vegas sends me um, a little video. You've heard them before the commercials with sound and a nice speaker, and it's very well produced. Um, and of course, I don't roll like that because I'm just a podcast guy down in my basement. But I still want to talk about Parker Las Vegas, which is coming up very soon, February 6th or the 8th, Las Vegas at the Paris. Always a great event, and I really, really recommend you attend. But did you know that they're doing a VIP package giveaway? And this is pretty cool. You can enter to win three free nights at the Paris Las Vegas Hotel during the seminar, reserve seating uh, that sits you right in the front, and you never have to fight for a seat. Um, and it's behind like a velvet rope. That's always really nice. Front of the line benefits during book signing. So if any of these guests really appeal to you, you can be right at the front of the line to get uh, your book signed. And then there's a Parker Alumni Lounge where you can relax, kind of get away from the crowd if you ever need to. So when you register, be sure to also enter the contest for VIP package giveaways. There are people that actually do win these giveaways. It's not a joke. Uh, and it's pretty nice. And uh, being a VIP at Parker Las Vegas is really, really a nice trip. And also, I wanted to, to also mention for Parker Vegas, uh, some of the guests. So we really, as far as the FTCA goes, we had a large turnout last year based on the guests, primarily uh, Stu McGill and Craig Liebenson. But this year is no joke either. There are some great guests uh, that would appeal to the listeners of this podcast and the evidence-informed chiropractic community. Uh, and I just want to run down them, spend a little extra time running down them. Um, so if you're going, this is what you're in for. And uh, if you're thinking about going, this is what you're going to see. And if you're not going, this is what you're going to miss. So don't miss it. Uh, one of our podcast favorites, Kevin Christie, FTCA Chiropractor of the Year. He'll be talking about modern chiropractic marketing. Uh, Andreas Eklund will be there. Uh, Greg Friedman, another podcast favorite, will be there. Um, those are all doctors of chiropractic. Uh, Dr. Jan Hardvikson, um, published in The Lancet. And uh, you have to see that conversation that he's going to present. It's amazing. Dr. Mark King, who's been a guest on the podcast. Uh, Robert Leach wrote one of my favorite books, actually, as a student, and that was The Chiropractic Theories. And if you've ever uh, had to study for a philosophy board examination, basically everything in the philosophy board students if you're studying for boards and the philosophy section is part of your study regimen, his book, The Chiropractic Theories, is basically what all of the philosophy section of the boards is taken out of, more or less. 
Oh man, Annie O'Connor, who was at uh, Forward 2019 and was the star of the show, will be speaking at Parker Vegas. Um, Michael Port, who wrote one of the books I recommend most often, Book Yourself Solid, will be speaking there. Greg Rose, who's the keynote speaker at Forward 2018 at Cleveland, U Kansas City University, will be speaking at Parker again. He does a great job. Uh, David Seaman, Michael Shacklock is huge. Uh, it's talking about neurodynamics. Uh, you can't miss that one. And he's got uh, like, I think three or four parts to his presentation. So and it's not going to be a one hour knockoff. He's going to go pretty deep. Kelly Starrett will be there. Um, Sean Thistle, who's a great Canadian chiropractor and research whiz will be there. Brett Winchester, who spoke at Forward 2019 and speaks everywhere and uh, was also a podcast guest, a superstar. You can't miss Brett Winchester. He's a star at Parker Vegas quite often as well. And Lieutenant Dan, Gary Sinise. Um, man, this, the list goes on and on and you get to pick. There's tracks and, um, and there's an evidence-based track where you can just follow that track the whole way through. There's business. Uh, and if you want to get, as they call it, spizzed up a little bit, they've got those folks for that as well. And there's stuff for your staff. So um, uh, long story short, I hope that I see you at Parker Vegas. All right, I'm about to do a promo for China Gel. Now, <laughs> I'm going to mess it up, but uh, before I mess it up, let me just say that I do love China Gel and I use it in my office exclusively. Um, and it's great. Uh, so let me try this. There's a lot of acronyms and stuff. So I always mess these up. Uh, ready? I love China gel. Go. Uh, China gel has been around for 25 years. It's a long time, but don't sleep on China gel. All right. Their topical pain reliever is modernized. It can be combined with ultrasound, IASTM, cupping, manual therapy, and more. They have a therapy cream that is an herbal enhanced emollient for IASTM that dries clean. That thing right there, the therapy cream that's an herbal enhanced emollient uh, that is for IASTM and dries clean, that stuff's awesome. So there were a lot of words there that the China Gel people wanted me to say. Let's just say they've got a manual therapy cream that is legit. When you're done treating with China Gel, this is what's great. Uh, both products can be taped over with your preferred kinesiology tape. Uh, you don't need to wipe or clean. It's not greasy. Um, it's very pleasant to use. It's pleasant to smell. It's uh, powerful uh, and it works. It gets the job done and there are clinic and retail sizes available. What you need to do is just go to chinagel.com backslash FTCA to sign up for a wholesale account and get some pleasant, powerful pain relief for your patients. Hey, I did it. That wasn't so bad. So let's talk about the T-Tool. And if you haven't heard of the T-Tool yet, don't skip this. It could possibly become one of your favorite soft tissue tools. And if you're like me and you've been doing this for a while, you probably have a few tools that are your favorites uh, and some that have fallen by the wayside. Uh, and it's a crazy market, right? There's a lot going on in the instrument market. Uh, but they all typically look and work the same. But the T-Tool is a little different. And uh, it's hard to explain on a podcast that is not visual, the visual appeal of the tools. So just go to the ttool.com and check it out. Uh, it, the purpose of the design is that it's engineered to complement innumerable, man, innumerable manual therapy techniques. Uh, so it's got, it gives you a lot of variety. It's almost like a Swiss army knife of 
IASTM tools. Uh, and you can gain leverage, you can work with it over uh, clothes. It, it provides less wear and tear on your body. Uh, so check that bad boy out. I, I like it, I use it a lot. It's, uh, it's been a really, really helpful tool in my practice. And for those folks that wanna buy one, there's a discount code. Just put in FTCA as a code and you get 15% off your purchase. Uh, check out the T-Tool and see them around at events and get one of those tools in your hand. And I think when you feel it and you use it, it'll change your mind and you'll never go back to these sort of two-dimensional Ninja Star tools again. You'll want a T-Tool in your hands every time. All right, everybody, welcome to Forward, the podcast, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. And my guest today is Dr. Danielle Eaton from... Missouri. Are you in Missouri? Correct. Missouri. Yes. Yeah. My family, my longtime old time family, the great grandpappies and all that, they're from Missouri. Um, so I feel a kindred spirit when I go visit there, but it's not like I want to live there. Come on. I'm on, I'm on the West coast. <laughs> I think I would trade you. Yeah. I, I think most people would, although there's something really nice about the Midwest, the people. Well, thank you. I've lived here my whole life. <laughs> You know, the people and, are really special. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could go into a whole variety of the ways that people in um, the county that I live in, in particular, are special. <laughs> I didn't. Probably yeah, we don't have video. <laughs> I, I might have been making air quotes there. <laughs> um, yeah. What I need from you as we get started is an origin story. How did mm -hmm. you get to where you are at this moment? Yeah. Well, that's a story in and of itself for sure. Um, Gosh, when I went to chiropractic school, I went to Logan. And as I just shared, I have lived in Missouri my whole life. It never occurred to me really to attend another school because Logan was figuratively in my backyard. And, you know, a beautiful campus. Uh, at that time, it was actually quite different than it is now. It was still nice campus, though. And I just heard this, heard about this thing called chiropractic. And I was like, hmm, maybe maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. I kept hearing about it from different places, different people. I had studied marketing and social work in my undergrad and I had worked in both of those fields actually. And I thought chiropractic makes sense. I could combine my business education with my social work education and work experience and, and I could own a business and I can help people. So I went to chiropractic school. I think my parents thought I was crazy. <laughs> we don't have any, we don't have any chiropractors in our family. And truthfully, um, most everyone in my family has either worked a, you know, like an administrative type of job or as a teacher. So I think that was kind of, yeah, they were kind of like, what are you thinking? A chiropractor? Chiropractors are weird. And so I just, your parents are like, wrong. <laughs> right. Exactly. I was like, well, that's cool. Cause I'm kind of weird. So I'm going to do this thing. And I did, I got, I, I remember being in trimester two of chiropractic school and I kept thinking, when am I going to learn what chiropractic is? Like, I just want someone to give me the black and white. This is what chiropractic is. And what I had learned in trimester two of the DC program was that nobody really knew what chiropractic was. At least that was my opinion at the time, right? Like, there's 150 plus different techniques. And, and I would just thought, wow, I, we had gone from having an instructor for our philosophy class for trimester one, who was, um, 
what what could we call the this person um a very open-minded factor. Yeah. no 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 the opposite <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> he was a, a. He was really close-minded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, then that the was next air trimester, <laughs> yes, the next trimester, we had an instructor who I felt like was very open-minded and progressive and forward-thinking and taught us the, the neuroscience of how manipulation works. And I was like, oh, this is, this, these are two completely different perspectives, like completely opposite ends of the spectrum here in front of us that have been presented to us. This tells me that nobody really knows what we're doing. And I just thought this is crazy. But by that point I had, I felt like I was already invested and I just stuck it out. So I, I went through my DC program, just not really knowing, is this really the right fit for me? Do I really want to do this? Do I really believe in this chiropractic stuff? And around the time that I was in, oh, it was outpatient clinic. So like probably around trimester seven or eight, there was a newish instructor on campus who um, had a, had a, uh, well, he, he worked in sports chiropractic before coming onto the campus to teach. He taught physical therapy um, courses, athletic injuries, those types of things. And the way that he presented chiropractic started to make sense to me because nothing else had so far. And I also hadn't had that you know, miraculous experience that a lot of people have when they go to chiropractic school or that takes them to chiropractic school. So I sort of latched onto this person. I wanted to learn more from him. And um, I ended up doing a residency under his direction in sports and rehab. And then I became the assistant director of sports and rehab at Logan and felt like I was on the fast track in my career. You know, I had like a corner office with windows by that point in time, but I also then became a mom for the first time. And everyone told me, you will, you will not want to come back to work. (laughs) I thought that was like absolutely ludicrous. They were like, you're going to want to stay home with your baby. You won't want to leave her. And I just felt like that's bananas. I'm, I love working. I love my job. I am a career woman. I've always wanted to have a career and I have this career going now. And then sure enough, she came along and I was like, oh, I don't know. Can I really leave her and go back to work? So long story short ish, um, uh, it was shortly after my daughter was born that I decided to go into opening my own practice so that I could have more freedom to be with her. So I thought at least, right. Like as you can probably imagine, starting, (laughs) starting a practice doesn't necessarily automatically lend itself to time freedom, which I have a really different perspective on now several years later, but at that time, all I knew was start a practice, work really, really, really hard, work lots of hours, long hours, and eventually you'll look back and you'll realize you're successful. And so that's what I did um, for a few years. And then um, again, long story short, there's a, there's a whole <laughs> sub story that happens along with this. But when my second daughter was coming along, I realized it was really a time for me to reevaluate what I was doing, how I was spending my time, how I was taking care of my health, um, where I was ranking my family on my priority list, because for a long time, my practice was really, um, by my actions at least, my, my priority and my kids and my husband weren't. My health certainly wasn't. And I just said, you know what? I think I'm, I think I'm done. I think I'm done with chiropractic. 
Um, and I had no idea what was next. I sold my practice to a chiropractor that I had known for actually several years already, but he had just finished school. He took over my practice and I just started exploring ideas and really evaluating, am I still a chiropractor? And if I'm not, then what am I? And the one thing that I did know for sure was that I still wanted to own a business. I still felt like an entrepreneur at heart. I couldn't imagine going back to working in a nine to five type of job or like a eight to six type of job and not having the time freedom that I really, really wanted to be able to have for my family and for myself. So I started learning how to create an online business. And although I didn't intend to start an online business that was specifically to support women in chiropractic, that is what it became. And now looking back, what has it been? Gosh, it's 2020 as we're recording this. It's crazy to think about that. So it's been almost six years since that turning point. We're in the future. (laughs) Right. Yes. And now I have been running this business for almost four years um, that supports women in chiropractic, really helping them to be able to work part-time hours to be profitable in their practice and then be present with their families when they want to be present with their families. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack here. Um, there is. I'm probably going to start with children because I know there's a lot of young chiropractors out there and um, I don't know what they think about it. I don't, I, I remember as having my own children, we have five in our house. We have five kids in our house. So um, I'm not a woman. I don't claim to be a woman, but I do have experience with children in the house. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and I will tell anybody who's going to be a young parent, who's a chiropractor. And, and there are so many chiropractors that are married to other chiropractors that one. I, I just don't understand. I mean, I understand, but I don't understand. Mm-hmm. So I always kind of tease them. I, I don't get that one, but it's like, um, I just want to state for the record that if you have a child, it's going to change something. It's going to, something is going to change. So if you have the assumption that you're going to have a child and then just kind of go back to business as usual, practice as usual, um, the the spousal relationship and work-life balance thing as usual, it's not. Everything changes. And with each one, it changes just a little bit more. That's exactly the assumption that I made, though, that everything would just kind of get back to normal after I had this baby out of my body. And then... I realized how naive I actually was after she was born, um, had an unplanned cesarean that took a lot longer to recover from than what I had anticipated it oh, would. Wow. Yeah. And, um, and just the whole, you know, the whole vibe, I think around the culture of birth in our profession, there's a lot of pressure on female chiropractors to have glorious looking home births. <laughs> it just doesn't always work out that way. Yeah. But let's yeah. discuss that a little bit. I mean, it is, there's like uh we, we are unwi- unwittingly. I mean, for some reason in our profession, we put ourselves on this stage, especially with social media too. And right. there is like a, there's a baby thing. I, I mean, off, obviously oh, operating the social media group that I do with the forward thinking chiropractic Alliance. I mean, you, you hear these things in social media. It was so common. Like, uh, if someone announced they were gonna have a baby, it's like, are you doing a home birth? Are you, you know, what, how are you, how are you birthing the baby? And, and what, what are you doing for vaccinations and all this? And it's like, whoa, Those are this really is almost like a choices. church, you know, like this is how the right. church would hit me up and say, how are you birthing? Are you birthing this baby the church way or the not church way? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
I think over the course of, you know, almost 12 years now of practice, I've just learned that my choices and my values are mine. And while I feel like, yeah, you can birth naturally with no medication and no interventions and you can do it um, at home. Great. That's great. And also at the same time, if that doesn't happen, there's no shame. There's no shame in that. And there's lots of reasons why a woman may not be able to um, have the social media perfect looking birth <laughs> outcomes. Sure, absolutely. Uh, and, and it also comes down to just personal choice. And uh, I know that it's easy for us to believe that we know what's right for other people. We want to instill that in them and we want to inspire them to do that, those things. But we also have to just let them be humans. Yeah. Well, no, there are people who will specifically be like, that's not very chiropractic of you to birth a mm -hmm. baby in a hospital, you know? Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, having been there and been in that place where I felt really, actually, I would say I was quite judgmental against any, anything else that wasn't natural birth. And then having now three cesareans, um, I can look back and say, yeah, I felt tons of shame and pressure. Most of it Ex, no, sorry, most of it internal, not external, but, but I felt like oh, I suck as a chiropractor because I wasn't able to, to do this birth thing the way that people think that I should have. Now, where did that come from? Was that from you or did that get put into you as a chiropractic student or being in the chiropractic family? I think it was a combination of being That didn't raised. come from your mommy and daddy, did it? It actually, to a certain extent, did inadvertently, not on purpose. My mom had five children and she birthed all of them in the hospital, but um, naturally with no episiotomies, no tearing, no uh, interventions, really. She just kind of showed up. A couple hours later, a baby would come out. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'm, I'm designed just like she is. That will happen for me, too. And because I believe it will, then it will. And it didn't. Yeah. yeah. There's and just then so add, many... add on top of that being a chiropractor, right? And being shown yeah. the, um, the, the film in um, our OBGYN classes of a woman home birthing twins and, um, <laughs> and all of it just looking like it was miraculous. It is miraculous, no matter how your baby comes out. Well, a lot of us suffer from the naturalistic fallacy in chiropractic because uh, that's part of our business, you know? Like our business is to sell the natural idea. Yes. Um, so we're going to, we're going to be a little bit more biased towards these natural ideas, but you, you know what, when it's time to use a medical procedure and a medical doctor and all that stuff, they're, they're good at what they do. <laughs> you can be fairly confident that when it's time to use medical procedures, if you choose the right time to do it, you're going to, you need it and it's going to be a good thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> and we, we don't need to feel shame in choosing that. Do you encounter, so when you had children, did you have any of your children while you were in private practice? Yes. And what was that like? So how, how, do, how do women like access uh, maternity leave? And <laughs> what's the reality behind that? Well, that's a great question. And thank you for, for bringing that up because it's something that I don't even typically think about because by default as a as a chiropractor who has always chosen to, not always, but at, since leaving a university setting, has chosen to be a business owner, I don't necessarily even think about maternity leave, which sounds crazy as it comes out of my mouth because every day I'm working with other women in chiropractic who are also having children. 
And that's one yeah. of the things that they're trying to figure out is how can I take a maternity leave? Yeah. And I know that from one perspective, we could, we can say that we need to advocate for more, more social change and more um, policies in our governments that will support women being able to take maternity leaves. And at the same time, we also have the ability to financially plan to take time off of our practices and to create a team in our practices. If, the practices at that point to be able to have the practice sustain itself while someone gives birth and takes time off to recover after birth. A lot of women in chiropractic will go back to practice two to four weeks after giving birth. And we would never advise that medically speaking to our patients, right? Like for, from our patient's perspective, we're advocating for them to rest and recover and bond with a baby and do this thing we call co-regulation for the first two weeks. And yet a lot of women are going back to work and their practices just two weeks or three weeks after giving birth, because financially they feel like they have to. Yeah. We've got some issues there. For sure. Um, it, and I've seen this um, around almost any organization I participate in, and it's, it's, it's endemic in chiropractic, and it's that thing where we are per- personality-based practices. Um, we have a lot in the Chiropractic Success Academy. We have a lot of sort of lone wolves, and maybe not even lone wolves, but single doctor operations. And they are working 14 hours a day, 12 hours a day, full busy practices. Uh, but they will net, they are slaves to their practice. They will never get away. They cannot get away. They don't take vacations. Uh, and one of the main things is they're absolutely afraid to turn over any of the trust or responsibilities or workload to somebody else. Cause they're afraid they can't do it as good as the doctor themselves can. Um, and, and it, 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 it's paralyzing the profession. It's paralyzing the professionals, uh, to not prepare and not plan. I I understand what it's like, like you get out of school and it's like, I got to go and I got to be successful now. And it Mm -hmm. takes quite a while to build up that success. And when you do, you don't want anyone to mess that thing up, uh, because if it goes down, the whole thing can go down. Um, but it's, it's kind of crippling all of us to do that. Well, what if we looked at this from the perspective of looking at what's in the literature? I don't know how much literature exists to be totally transparent around um, the necessity for healthcare providers to take vacations per se, but there's, there is literature. I got that. If you keep talking, I'll be able to look it up. I got <laughs> and there that is literature, literature yeah. on PubMed that mm. discusses uh, burnout in healthcare providers. And there's some that I have found that discusses burnout in very specific professions, such as surgeons or nurses. I don't think there's anything that exists for chiropractors specifically. So we would have to make some inductions, I suppose here, but um, you know, what, what the literature is showing in regard to burnout for healthcare providers is not great either. Uh, But again, it comes back to us taking ownership of that, taking ownership of how we're designing our business models so that, we are able to be profitable as quickly as possible and save money so that we can take time off without feeling like, well, if I take time off, there won't be any money coming in. It's a really simple solution. Save some money. (laughs) Save some money. (laughs) I know, simple, not necessarily easy. Right. It takes planning though, and it takes execution. 
And yes. uh, and some of these folks get so busy in practice that now they can't execute anything else in their lives, including family time. And you become a very successful chiropractor and then you end up becoming a very successful divorced chiropractor. Yes. Yes. And I think you, you briefly mentioned this before, but, you know, adding to this, the complexity of two chiropractors married to each other. And if they're both practicing in the same business together, now we have a situation where there are two chiropractors, their income is solely dependent upon one business, the success of this one business. Another layer of this is then also the complexity of working with your spouse and yeah. all of the um, obstacles, the challenges. And yes, there's obviously some rewards that come along with it as well. But man, I'll tell you, when I'm working behind the scenes with other chiropractors, some of the most challenging situations are those in which there's a husband and wife working together in one practice, and they've got tons of pressure on them to perform and to, to grow their practice, and they don't feel like they can take time off because if they take time off together to go on vacation, then there's no income coming into their family, and they have not created these safeguards so that financially they can do that, and it doesn't feel like it's going to be the end of the world. Yeah, it's, um, I, I'm, I need to look into it a little bit more and, and you would, you would understand these things more than others with your background in social work, but there's just something about two, two spouses in the same profession that are either, it's either very unique and can be quite a successful thing or a complete disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to live in the woods before I moved to Portland, Oregon, which is still kind of the woods, I guess but we would get mountain lions and like a mountain lion would steal our chickens and things like that. But what we understood about mountain lions was if there was one, it was only that one. Like there weren't four or five mountain lions hanging out in your backyard. Uh, they, 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 they roamed a certain range. And it's like, if you think of a chiropractor as a mountain lion, and now you have two mountain lions in the same range mm-hmm. working with each other, they're going to have a scrap at some point because they have to fight for resources. Yep. Um, that could be a, uh, that's not an abundance mindset, <laughs> um, but you know what I'm getting at. I do. Yes. And, and, you know, I'm delicate about this because, well, for a variety of reasons, but one of the things that I see as I advocate for women specifically is that uh, women get to a point where they're ready to make changes to that they believe will positively advance their practices and their families. And yeah. then their husbands are resistant. Yeah, and sure. yeah, you know, like I, I'm, as I'm saying this out loud, I'm like, I'm hearing you, you guys, <laughs> I'm sure that there's times that a husband feels the same way that, or that, you know, he looks at what his wife wants to do and he's like, that's crazy. And it's too risky. And when we're supporting our family from this one business, there's not much room for risk. Um, and I understand that perspective too. Well- that's, that's because of the nature of this business. It's ever growing. Um, what you thought you knew when you graduated from school is completely different than what you know now, right? Thankfully, so, yes. Yeah, right. No, so totally. So as people grow and as they learn more and as, as you're a practitioner and you want to study, say, more uh, functional movement and rehabilitation and, and your partner wants to study more of uh, – uh, child, you know, like uh, tongue-tie and, and, and child – uh, pediatric chiropractic, you know, and you, you get more and more interested in going that route and that route and learning how to be successful in that business. There's a split there and it becomes a split in the business and a split in philosophy and a split in personality. But you, that's the nature of this business. Like I think 
two accountants could get married to each other and probably be pretty solid because the nature of business stays the same constantly. Yes. Um, and this that's, that's a, really- a generalization, but you know, we are constantly growing and learning as chiropractors and, and the nature of what we think we know and, and what we're actually learning in, in evidence and all this other stuff, it changes constantly too. So if we're not uh, continually growing and maybe only one of the spouses is growing and the other spouse is not growing at all and they're staying stagnant, then it makes it quite challenging. Absolutely. I yes. guess that's maybe that's why more straight chiropractic couples stay together because their their outlook doesn't change over time. It's always the same, like pound down the high spot and bone out of place. I don't know. Oh. Hmm. That's an interesting perspective. And I'm I'm right there with you. Uh, and this is an interesting segue perhaps too, um, to look at marketing in our businesses, yeah, totally. in our practices, because what happens when we've got that divide between a husband and a wife, one wants to focus on musculoskeletal um, issues such as the common things we see, low back pain, neck pain, headaches, right? Being the top three. And then there's another spouse in the practice that wants to um, support women who are looking for a different birth outcome from their second, their third, or their fourth birth. Then how do we systematize marketing around two completely different sets of pain points, problems, and right. solutions, and then possibilities for the avatar, if you will, for that business? And so again, maybe that's part of the reason why it's, it, it perhaps works more seamlessly for two chiropractors who are in a um, romantic relationship who practice from a more straight chiropractic perspective because they're not really marketing their practice that way. They're marketing chiropractic instead of marketing to the person. Right. Yep. They're selling the product. They're not selling um, to, to a certain ideal audience. Yes. Yes. This is a topic that I'm like, I can feel my, my blood boiling. (laughs) Maybe it's my blood pressure (laughs) rising because I mean, we've got so much opportunity available to us as as our profession as a whole, when we look at what the ACA reported in 2018, that 10.7% of the U S population utilizes chiropractic care. That's only 10.7% of the population. That means that there's a lot of other people who are dealing with things like back pain, for example, who have never been to a chiropractor and we've got plenty of opportunity available to us, but because we don't agree perhaps on how, what it is that we're doing first and foremost, or how we should go about doing it, then we're also confused about how to market it. Right. And then that leads to a whole slew of other issues, like people who are graduating from school, not clear on how to market a business and suffering financially, defaulting on their student loans would be the perhaps worst case scenario or filing bankruptcy leaving practice, these things really happen. Well, here's a problem in in schools, not to criticize schools, it's not their job per se, but if somebody just stood up there the first day of school and said, hey, look, uh, you will have to market yourself. Because there are some people that graduate that don't even know they have to market. Yes. I mean, how many many students do you know? And, you know, you, you see a graduating class after graduating class when you're a seasoned doc. And, you know, what a class will be 40, 60, 80 students, but there will be five, 10 or so that come out and they're like, um, they think they're uh, 
uh, surgeons, you know, they're coming out like I just graduated with my doctorate. I'm now a doctor. And uh, my name is Dr. Jim Jones, DC doctor, 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 and everyone's introducing themselves as doctor. And uh, they haven't hit the reality that yeah, yeah, you're a doctor of chiropractic, but it's also a whole different game than being a physician, you need to run a business too, whether you like it or not. Yes. Well, that's a choice that we make when we choose to become a chiropractor. And if I don't know, I don't think some people know that they made that choice though. That yeah, they made probably that choice. not. No, probably not. And <laughs> maybe, you know, the schools might kind of play a part in that as well. Like they're, they're not um, totally forthcoming about what you might expect for your career after you finish school. But if you choose to be a practice owner, you choose to be a business owner. And if you don't market the business, there is no business. Right. Um, additionally, I feel like this is not just a feeling. I mean, it's, it's evolved over, over time from my experience that when we are afraid to market, we're missing the point. <laughs> we, yeah. we have all these hangups about um, being afraid to put ourselves out there, feeling like we shouldn't have to do that. But, well, okay. And then I'd also add to this the fact that we're, we're told, you know, just teach people the benefits of chiropractic care. But let me ask you, if I taught you the benefits of having this new air conditioner that... I think is the top of the line. How excited would you be to like Still spend the money? Answer, yeah, it doesn't answer a hundred other things going through my mind. <laughs> would you be? Just, would you just be so ready to spend the money to get this new air conditioner? Right, Absolutely like not. <laughs> until I've really identified a a problem that you have and how it's affecting all parts of your life, how it's affecting you as a parent, and how it's affecting you in your job, and how it's affecting your self esteem. I haven't really gotten to a motivator yet for you to buy that air conditioner or for you to buy anything period. And what we, what I was getting to here is that what we forget is that we have a really honorable profession that we have learned. And I believe that no matter how you, uh, how you approach care for your patients, what you're doing is in most cases, a really honorable thing. You're helping people get better in some way live a better life in some way. You're not selling them used cars with flat tires. So why should we feel bad about putting our businesses out there and helping more people understand how we can help them? But yet that's the reality. Know. Yeah, a lot I don't of people know. do feel bad about putting themselves out there. That, you know, that's multifactorial and I don't know why a lot of people are like that because I, I mean I was there I know I was there at some point and, and I don't remember why I was hung up about it because <laughs> once you sort of take the leap then the net appears and you're not worried about it anymore um, what would be my story I think my story was I was practicing in a small town in the central coast of California and I don't think the chiropractors around me that, that were there before me left a good legacy mm. so going to rotary going to uh, business meetings, chamber of commerce things and introducing yourself as a chiropractor. It was sort of like a, yeah, one of those, huh? Yeah. We already, we've already met a couple of those in this town. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where that started me on this idea of not marketing yourself as a chiropractor at all, but marketing 
yourself and marketing the unique services you provide. So yeah, not marketing as we talked about before, chiropractic and its benefits uh, or the, the air conditioner itself and what the air conditioner can do for you, but what an experience inside my practice or working with me can do for you. You know, people feel, I think especially women feel concerned about if people will perceive them as salesy, but here's, here's what we need to understand. There's a, there's some neuroscience behind people's decision-making process. And when you are giving them the benefits of chiropractic care, you're just appealing to the processes that happen in their frontal cortex, right? Their higher level thinking, their decision-making but when people make buying decisions, the buying decision actually starts in the amygdala and it starts with the emotions that they feel. And then they start to shift their, their thought process or their decision-making to the facts. And then they also go back to the amygdala <laughs> and they feel a feeling again. And so when we're just teaching people the benefits of chiropractic care, we're only appealing to that one of the three parts of the buying of the decision-making process. We're only appealing to the frontal cortex. We've missed the opportunity to also can make a connection for them in the amygdala, which is really where the buying process, I keep saying the buying process, the buying decision starts. Absolutely. And for those listeners out there, this is outlined in the book Switch by Chip Heath and Dan Heath, which you should be reading at some point in time. Is that where career. I learned this from? Because I didn't Probably. even know where I learned this from. Um, but that, that they probably, it's not like they innovated the idea, you know, they just published the book. <laughs> right. But in, in switch the, the authors, Chip and Dan Heath, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll take logic and they'll refer to it as the rider on an elephant and emotions being the elephant itself. Mm-hmm. And you can't steer the elephant with logic. The elephant's mm-hmm. going to go where it wants to go and you have to learn how to guide that elephant. Right. And so this isn't a process that we need to feel bad about or that we need to feel like we're manipulating people into. What we need to do is shift our, our thinking, our mindset about it as just, it, this is how it works. And if we're not appealing to people in this way, then we're missing the boat. We're missing the mark with being able to help more people because we are too concerned about being manipulative. Um, Pun intended, I guess. (laughs) Do you think any of that has to do with people not believing in the product? I think, honestly, this is my observation that it's more so about people not believing in themselves. Yeah. Well, they are the product to some degree, too. True. That is, yes, this is a good point. Yes. Um, You know, I, I, uh, so we have this Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance and it has a website and the website has membership and there's lots of value in the membership and it's really inexpensive, like super ridiculously inexpensive to be a member. And, and I put it out there and, and we have plenty of members and all that. Um, but I would get so much feedback of like, I would have, I, I, I didn't become a member cause you didn't sell me on it. <laughs> Like seriously, legitimate comments. Like, I think it's all great. And I think there's lots of value and it looks like it's really awesome, but no one ever sold me on it. So I didn't buy it. Wow. Like literally straight up, straight up your, your patients and your customers, they will educate you because they will tell you if you're listening, they will tell you. Um, and they told me like, this is great stuff, but you've never sold me on it. So why would I want to buy it? Like they wanted to be sold. And I think people do want to 
to a degree be sold or go through that process. That's an initiation process. It's an onboarding process, whatever you want to call it. That exchange of ideas that happens in a sale or a, or the, uh, the, the tail end of an ROF where you're, you're trying to lay out a plan or all these sort of things. It's a process that's sort of natural for human beings to want to go through for them to make an agreement or to get into an agreement. And uh, if you ignore these natural processes, you're going to have consequences. That sounds a lot like what we were discussing around, you know, the neuroscience of, yeah. of, the, of the buying decision, because if they want to be sold to what they're asking you for without them even knowing that they're asking for is they want to feel that emotion. They yeah. want to feel that feeling that is what ignites them into doing something that maybe they've never done before or doing something different. And without that, sense of you've sold me if we're going to put it in air quotes <laughs> uh then they're just kind of like well i'm good it's nothing, like uh for the changing. male listeners out there like if there's a uh, a female that you would like to ask out on a date um you can't just be like hey let's go get some coffee like you got to go through the process of asking the person out if not, they'll, it'll, it'll sound these subconscious alarm systems within the person like, this is weird. This isn't normal. This isn't traditional or whatever you want to call it. This isn't the way I would expect this, this transaction to go. So I don't feel right about it. Something's up here. I think I'll just say, no, I'll pass. This is why I myself have never enjoyed and truthfully never even really carried out spinal screenings because <clears throat> there's, it's essentially, we're, we're trying to skip that process that you just described. So I, yeah. I'm meeting you and now I'm asking you to become my customer right now. Yeah. Even though you just met me, you ready? Let's go do this thing. And if and anyone's so, gone to college, you know that some people will say yes, but they're not always the people <laughs> you want to say yes for a long-term relationship. If you know what I mean, this is a PG, <laughs> this is a PG podcast, but you know what I'm getting at. Hint gotten. <laughs> yes. We do want high value uh, patients uh, that fit our, our um, ideal uh, vision of what a patient should be and all that stuff, our ideal client and all that. So yeah, yeah. there's a game to play with that. For it's, sure. it's really interesting to me that outside of chiropractic, it is a, it is a very well known and accepted principle that as you create a marketing plan, you first decide who it is that you're marketing this business to. And yet within chiropractic, we've held on to this ideology that we need to save all the lives and we need to help everybody. And so that's how we go out and try to approach marketing. We well, hopefully we even get out of our offices and do the thing in the first place, but yeah. that we try to market chiropractic to everyone. And I feel very strongly that we have the evidence to support that that's not working because yeah. our utilization rate just seems to pretty much be stagnant. So if we want that to change and we should want that to change, then we need to, we need to get forward thinking essentially with our marketing, with what we see as marketing and let these old ideologies go that we should just go out, teach all the people about the benefits of chiropractic care. It's not working. Yeah, that's evangelism. That's not business. Mm. You're going to make a decision. Are you an evangelist or are you a business person? Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would choose any day to have a business that supports my family over choosing to adhere to ideology that someone said I should have. 
who has oh, yeah, no yeah. idea <laughs> what is happening in my home. I've, I've broken this down. So I call um, uh, Joe Rogan's famous for saying he's on team people. You know, like if you had to choose between animals and people, he would choose team people. Well, I call it uh, team Cairo. So they're the people that put chiropractic first above all else, you know, in their talk and their walk and their idea, you know, everything, their whole life is revolves around chiropractic. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then people come second. And, uh, and then there's people that put the world ahead of chiropractic. They understand chiropractic is just a profession to participate in, make a good living, help people uh, make a difference in the world and, and get an income for doing a good thing for good people. But they will put people before chiropractic. So um, Team Cairo will tend to be like, well, I see that the literature says that. I'm going to ignore it because I want to do what's best for this chiropractic tribe and this evangelism that I, I subscribe to. And then Team People say, whoa, the research, the evidence says this. And the stakeholders who are talking about this evidence are saying this. So I need to change what I'm doing. Uh, they're, they're different. So they have different priorities to put each other first. So Team Cairo will tend to market Cairo first. And they will tend to bend the rules a bit just to make sure that Cairo wins. Mm. Uh, I, I don't want to say lie in their marketing, but it's not exactly factual marketing at times when you see some of it. And then team people are really trying to do what's best for people first. And uh, they will line up their marketing and, and all that stuff. And their practice alignment will be more about serving people instead of serving chiropractic. That's my own personal editorial observation. I'm sure there's people that are a blend of both too. I, I may even be a blend of both sometimes. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just what it is, you know. Yeah, let's let's stop and ask ourselves which kind of um, healthcare provider would you want to go to? Would you want to go to the healthcare provider that sees you as a person and who is willing to tell you what is best for you as a person, or do you want to go to the healthcare provider that thinks that this one thing that they do is the only thing that's going to help you? No matter uh, I would say what. 90% of, <laughs> 90% of people, <laughs> the ones that don't come to chiropractors are the ones that would choose uh, best procedures over best profession. Well, it's just a general rule of being a good human than to treat other people the way that you want to be treated, right? Actually, I think most of the population doesn't even know chiropractic really is an option for them. Like a large majority are just uh, medically sort of indoctrinated. If, no, most of them aren't going to do anything at all. So most people don't take care of themselves at all. And then when a tragedy happens, then they're going to the medical doctor if they're yep. lucky. And then there's some that when they do, they do take care of themselves and their version of taking care of themselves is going to the medical doctor. And then there's a subset of population of people that choose conservative care. And then in that subset of population, some of those people choose chiropractic. In uh, an episode that I listened to of Ford uh, recently, well, recently, I listened to it recently. The episode was from September 2019 with Ray Cook. Uh, Gray talks in that episode about the pharmaceutical industry. And I really, I loved being able to hear his perspective on the pharmaceutical industry. I felt like, okay, cool. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> uber crazy. Like I haven't really drank all the Kool-Aid yet. Um, but, you know, let's, let's look at what the pharmaceutical industry has done in regards to marketing. They, at yeah. some point, shifted to a, like they had a tipping point, essentially. Their budget got so large that they just started putting their information in front of us all the time, everywhere that we look, so that it, we, we essentially became indoctrinated. This is what's normal, because we see it everywhere. Yep. And, I mean, we've got a long way to go before we would be able to get to that point. We'd need to have some kind of 
reform perhaps even um, before we could get there. But if we look at this from a perspective of like, well, what is our profession doing? What is the ACA doing? Well, let's first start with ourselves individually. What are you doing? What are you doing to help more people understand that chiropractic is an option for them? And are you hiding in your office, hoping that people show up? Or are you willing to get out there and get uncomfortable and do things that you know you could be doing that you're not doing that help people build a sense of trust with you before they make that buying decision? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think a lot of pra- practitioners are very comfortable with um, sort of being on, quote unquote, an insurance list or on a panel, you know, and then the people who want to choose chiropractic will call them up and we'll give them a shot. I think there are a couple different breaking points where you know you're starting to make it as a successful practitioner. One of them's a positive, and that's the one when you start holding, a, a, when you start practicing in a way that convinces or motivates people who would never seek chiropractic to try you, I think you've broken through to a next level. I also think when you start turning people away because they're not your ideal client and you refer them to somebody else across the street or down the street or whatever, I think you've broken through to a next level. Yes. Uh, And I think also when you have about 10% or so, like a small percent, 5% that um, of people that just kind of hate your guts, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that you're really pushing some buttons uh, or, or, you know, like the, the patients are starting to, to, I guess be kind of chippy a little bit because they're, they expect more from you and and you need to grow and expand as a person. I think you're breaking through to a next level too, but if Mm -hmm. everything's smooth and all you're really getting is calls from the insurance panel and it's people that already would choose chiropractic anyways, you're just a commodity. It's, you're not doing much. You're a big commodity, but just a commodity. You're not making an impact in your community. Right. Yes. That's, that's the thing. I think that, you know, um, that we need to kind of be evaluating internally for ourselves. What are you after in your practice? Are you, uh, I mean, if you've got five kids, we have four in my family, it's expensive to raise five kids. It's expensive to raise four kids, even in Missouri where the cost of living is low. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I can look at it from the perspective of like, well, I'm going to do what's comfortable and um, not put myself out there. <laughs> I hear that <laughs> phrase a lot. Or I'm going to choose to do uncomfortable things so that I'm taking ownership of providing for this gigantic family that we've created. It's not cotillion. Like you're not putting on a fancy (laughs) dress and going out uh, to, to meet up with suitors. It's like, you're just going to talk about what you love and how you can help people. Yep. You're not looking for a a partner, a marriage partner. You just go out and talk, have, you know, what's, what's a good start. Know who you want to talk to. Yes. Because those people will energize you. And next, start talking about stuff you love to talk about. It makes it a whole lot easier. Like spine, spine care talks are like pulling teeth. Um, how old are your kids? They are 17. Well, okay, so I'm going to add the caveat that two of them have a birthday in four days and in uh, six days from now. So oh. considering that, they're 17, um, eight, five, and two. Yeah, with a 17-year-old, you definitely know they get, they're expensive. <laughs> right. And she's going to be going off to college in roughly a year. And you know, that's yeah. a whole new, a whole new level of expensive. Yeah. There. Yeah. The nature has a way of taking it easy on you when they're little, they don't eat much or do much. They don't, they can't escape either. 
but when they get older, it gets wild. No, I, for most of my kids, their whole first year of life, they nursed. So they were almost free. <laughs> <You've> <laughs> got to feed mama. Make sure much. mama's fed. <laughs> hey, as a, um, as a social worker background that you had, what do you think of this new direction that um, evidence-based chiropractic is sort of going where it's the biopsychosocial approach? It's not new. You know what I mean, though? It's like yes. kind of new for people to sort of encounter or, or try to tackle where the, the importance is the therapeutic alliance, um, motivational interviewing, proper goal setting, really considering the social aspects of pain uh, and the psychological aspects of pain and putting them at either equal weight or even larger weight than the biological factors. Uh, does that excite you? Would that excite you to get back into practice, those ideas? Hmm. Well, those are like two different questions Are you questions having too there. much fun right now? I'm having tons of fun right now. I don't know that it excites me enough that I want to actively practice. Um, Does it excite you it's I, happening because it's the right thing to do? Yes, definitely excites me that it's happening. I feel like, you know, if, if evidence is starting to lead us in that direction, of course, then we've got to keep our eyes open to that first and foremost. But uh, there was a point in my career about four years ago where I had this internal shift that happened and I honestly can't even remember where it came from at the time but I had you know I had in my sports medicine training I had looked at everything so mechanistically like um you know if we stretch this tight muscle and if we strengthen this weak muscle then everything will get better but then we've totally missed the psychosocial aspect of that person's um injury perhaps or their recovery and a lot of patients came through the clinic that I worked at with recurrent injuries as well as chronic pain. And we would throw everything at them that we possibly had, like all the tools, all the bells and the whistles, all the different rehab techniques. Their appointments in the clinic would be an hour or longer sometimes, and yet they just kind of stayed the same. And I found that really frustrating. And, and I would often ask, what are we missing? What, what are we missing? And it wasn't until I actually wasn't even actively practicing in that setting anymore where I realized, oh, you know, how a person thinks about themselves is actually a lot about their outcomes. Like their yeah. outcomes are going to be affected by their perspective and what they believe. And I, I personally really love Joe Dispenza's work um, because it takes the his work takes this like sort of woo philosophy and blends it with the science. And so my hippie heart and my geeky nerdy brain are kind of married together when I listen to his videos or read his books. And, and I'm really thankful for his work because it's allowed me to feel like I have some permission to go there, if you will. Like I have yeah. permission to, even consider that in my patients treatment plans or in their outcomes. Like if they're not improving with the, the normal basic stuff that I would do, what else is going on? And I, for a very long time, hadn't considered that the way that they're thinking about themselves or about the world, about the possibility that they could actually recover from this injury or not live with this chronic pain anymore is a lot. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a heavy weight, if you will, in regard to their actual outcomes. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much everything. <laughs> um, you, you look at more and more evidence and it's like less and less about what you do and more about how you do it. 
I think though, and this is this is purely uh, speculation, that it may be hard for us as chiropractors to accept that because then it decreases the significance of what we do with an adjustment or with manipulation and says like, well, now what do we do? If, if um, we know that the way that a person thinks about themselves or the beliefs that they hold about the world are actually like 90% of the outcomes that they achieve, what are we doing? Yeah, um, that is the hardest part about being in a mature adult professional is that sometimes uh, you do have to reconsider your importance in the world and, and the things you do and whether they matter or not. And um, uh, so many people have their, when we go back to marketing, they have sold the adjustment and they've sold themselves that the adjustment is the miracle and they've seen miracles with th their own thine eyes, you know? Um, but you, sometimes it's time to start to reconsider the importance of everything, re revalue and reweigh everything. But then again, even Dee Dee Palmer, it was traumas, thoughts, and toxins, right? So even he was on the thought train. Yes. Um, you know what? The, the, the adjustment itself is still very valuable. It's very important. But we've already known for a long, long time it's not the panacea. It's mm -hmm. not the all-answering thing that everybody needs. Um, I think it's much more valuable to, to us and to the people we serve if we knew what to use and when to use it in the best possible times. Absolutely. And I think we're getting close. We'll never get there, but we're getting closer. So it's kind of cool. Um, who knows? The pendulum can swing all the way back around and, and then the adjustment could be the panacea all over again. <laughs> well, you know, what's cool about that though, is that if we're not attached to a certain dogma about what it means to be a chiropractor or what is right or wrong or what's acceptable um, to utilize for patient care, then you have the flexibility within your, um, within your scope of practice, essentially to be able to adjust, again, pun intended, yeah. uh, adapt to, be able and to overcome. Yeah. Yes, to be able to adapt your approach to how you serve people and still have a business model that you can support your family with. If you're not attached to, well, I'm a chiropractor, it has to be this way. I have That's to do right. this thing. Yeah, like if they if some legal body tomorrow took away the adjustment from everybody on earth, said you can't do it. Yep. Who would be stuck and who would be adaptable to the change? It's the yes. same thing we want for our patients. That's what I always tell people. We want our patients to be self-sufficient, adaptable, um, confident, uh, have variety of movements and, and variety of activity in their lives and be able to do things without being held down. But we help, we hold ourselves down. I have, clients in Florida that are like, well, if, if uh, personal injury goes away, we'll go out of business. That's your, I get that. And I get that personal injury pays a lot of money. And I, I get that that's where you're sort of centered, but that's also your own damn fault that you've centered yeah. yourself all on that. And you're not diversified enough to take the punch if the punch came. Um, so this is, this is liberating to a lot of chiropractors uh, around my age, you know, early forties who were told that chiropractic was a certain way. And then this has blown the door open that you can practice any way you want. It's a choose your own adventure. And here's some evidence to choose why choosing your own adventure is actually a good thing. And we can all win together. So I don't, in these last couple of years, I've changed. Like I'm not as, I, I draw two lines in the sand, ethics um, and, and 
and patient centeredness are my two lines in the sand. As long as you don't cross those, like I don't really care what you do. You're going to help somebody, you know? So if you're dangling crystals over somebody, uh, you know, okay. All right. <laughs> and if you've got <laughs> other techniques that you do, okay. All right. You're probably not going to hurt them, but as long as you don't cross the lines of being patient centered and, uh, and, and ethical, Mm-hmm. Um, and and some people argue like evidence based is ethics, you know, whatever. Like if if you're just doing what you're doing and you're not stealing from people or lying to them, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you're putting their needs first, then you know, knock yourself out. Jesus Christ! <laughs> I didn't say I said Jesus Christ. All right, for you I, folks out there. I heard it loud and clear. <laughs> um, <laughs> We, 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 this is how I want to do a podcast, by the way. This is how I like it. We just, we pushed record, right? We had no plans of what we were going to talk about. We had no way or where it's going to go, but we do want it to sort of end with something. So, and I know you're itching, you're chomping at the bit for marketing. So is there like (laughs) three solid quick wins that you could give somebody from the marketing standpoint to show everybody that this lady knows what the hell she's talking about. Yeah. Okay. So um, in the summer of 2019, my team and I, which is funny to say, but my team and I surveyed inadvertently this happened. It didn't happen on purpose. We surveyed over 700 chiropractors and asked them what their biggest struggle in marketing was. And do you want to guess what the survey results were what what do you think that was their biggest struggle in marketing family feud um (laughs) you know what i'm gonna say how to use facebook ads is up there somewhere yeah that was mentioned a few times but the thing that that all like uh, we didn't actually intend again to like do a study but afterward i realized oh my gosh we did a study like we should have documented this information (laughs) this was actually really valuable information from my observation, my guess would be that over 90%, and it actually probably even close to like 95, 96, 97% of these people said that their biggest struggle in marketing was to be consistent. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Now that's interesting to me because I started studying in marketing in 1998 when I was just 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And although marketing, it, it wasn't taught to us in, you know, an undergraduate setting that marketing requires consistency. But I think that it's just kind of always been in the back of my mind that you got to be consistent. And if you're not consistent, then what do you expect the outcome to be? So before you can say what's going to work for you in regard to marketing your practice and what will be most efficient and what will be most effective, you just have to be consistent with something first. And something, as cons- anything, just do something yes. and do it consistently. As you're consistent over the long term, which is one of the high performance habits from Brendan Burchard's really, really long book from his research, he found high performers are consistent over the long term. If you're consistent over the long term, you're going to start to understand what is working and what's not working. But if you don't put in the time and the effort to be consistent first, no one really can tell you exactly what's going to work for you for marketing your practice because you are a unique individual and your audience, if you will, is also unique. And you've got to find the spot between the two where you're, you're like, 
you're in the sweet spot, right? Like, what do you love talking about? What do you love educating people about? And what do they want to hear from you? What do they want help with? And what do they want more of? And when you find that sweet spot, then it, it's really effective, but you can't find that sweet spot if you're not, a, if you're not consistent in the first place. There you go. There's one winner. Okay, Make a calendar. Yes. Get it on a calendar, everybody. <laughs> yes. uh, number two. Number two is we've got to stop this thing about, you know, just going out and teaching people the benefits of chiropractic care. And we've got to get, we've got to give ourselves first and foremost permission to do what actually works in marketing, which is to, to be very clear about who you're marketing to. And I came up with this phrase a few months back that if you're marketing to everyone, you're really marketing to no one because it's so ineffective. So why waste your time at that point, right? I mean, again, we don't know what's going to work for you until you're consistent, but you've got to be consistently marketing to a target market. Yeah. Imagine putting on a blindfold, spinning around a circle, throwing a dart and trying to hit the bullseye. <laughs> it's pretty hard to do, but if you take the blindfold off and you really focus on the bullseye and you are standing in place, your chances of hitting that bullseye are probably greater. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that's just, you know, that's the approach that we need to take. It's like, know what you're trying to hit. And, and I go far as far as telling people you should, you should have like a vision in your mind of what their name is you know, where they go shopping, what kind of things they like to do in their free time, <laughs> uh, what their education level is, uh, not just the demographics of your, of your uh, potential ideal client, but the psychographics. Yes. How they think. Um, yes. What, they're, what kind of TV shows they're watching. You got to be in their head. So if I ask somebody, if we meet on the street and I say, who's your ideal client and you don't have that stuff, I'm not impressed. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've asked numerous people who is your ideal patient avatar. How would you describe your ideal patient avatar? And they say, well, my ideal patient is someone that's between 25 and 65 and maybe she's a female. And I'm like, wow, okay, let's think about that. How did you think when you were 25 and did it change when you were 35? And now that you're 45, do you think differently than you did when you were 25? Yeah, and if, if I spoke to you the same way right now that I do, um, I'm, not quite 40, but I'll be 40 in a few months. Like if I sat here right now as my 20 year old self, I would never, never, ever believe you. If you told me that I would be who I am right now at 40 and I'm not the same person. So I don't have the same problems. I don't have the same pain points. I don't even really feel interested in the same things. So I have a lot of people that say my ideal client is somebody who has X, Y, Z insurance. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's like, no, that, that's not going to work. I, I get it, but that's not going to work. All right. Well, number again, three. Uh, okay. Number three, I would say is um, if you, if you're waiting <laughs> for someone else to do the work for you, then good luck. <laughs> Um, it's, you know, whether it is the insurance plan or the ACA or your state association or your chiropractic school, you can sit and blame all, all those organizations or all the other people who didn't teach you what you think you should know, but you have a choice that's really actually quite easy to make in front of you. There's tons of resources. There's lots of podcasts for chiropractors that are free. There's audiobooks. There's 
you know, you can get books from the library for free. There's like literally no excuse to not learn how to market your practice and take ownership of it. When we, when we say that phrase, what is it? Be the change you wish to see in the world. If you wish to see chiropractic utilization increase in your community, then be the person who's doing the work that needs to be done to make that happen. Perfect. That's a perfect way to end it. Um, thank you so much. I got a feeling we'll be doing this again at some point. <laughs> it's been really fun. Thank you. Put yourself right up there at the level of a Grey Cook level podcast. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Although I, I told you off the air, uh, he does his from a deer stand. Um, nope. I'm just sitting at my desk in my office at home, <laughs> not a deer stand. <laughs> All right. It's still cool though. I still enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, <laughs> And we, uh, if you don't know, because I didn't tell you, we're going to get all your information about Aligned Women and how to, and people can contact you and all that uh, produced, post-produced on or off uh, the air. Great. Thank you so much. So, uh, thank you. And uh, if anyone has any questions they want to ask you specifically, can you give them uh, contact information? Sure. Yeah. The best place to reach out would be to probably email us. And I say us because... Um, I don't manage my email inboxes all on my own. So you can email us at info at alignedwoman.com. Great. Dr. Eaton, it's a pleasure. And if you could tell me on off the air how to manage my own inboxes, <laughs> how you have a team do that for you, I sure could use yep. that because I've got some email addresses and they're jam-packed with stuff I never have time to respond to. Yeah, I hear um, you. <laughs> but I am glad that I responded to your request to be on the podcast. Thank you so much. All right. I appreciate it.